So this week we're looking at Isaac Watts, and um, what an amazing individual. Um, what a, I've just had so much fun um, exploring these hymn writers and learning their stories. And uh, for me, as that scripture is being read, this 12th chapter of Isaiah, I can just see this being embodied in the life of Isaac Watts. But maybe when you're listening to it, you're thinking, hmm, what does that have to do with anything? But the, that, that scripture, that poetry right there in Isaiah is telling about how God provides for us in the midst of, of troubling times, even how God returns to us with loving kindness, even when we have walked away. And, and yet God is there faithful and upholds us through all. So let me share with you about Isaac Watts. But before we get to him, we're going to have to go all the way back to 500 years ago. Literally, 500 years ago, 1517, on October 31st of 1517, when Martin Luther nailed to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church his 95 Thesis against uh, what, what the church, the Roman, what we call the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of Rome, what it was doing that he felt was wrong, that he felt was walking away from the gospel of Jesus. And he listed those out, and with that, um, it, this had been building up. He had been disciplined and reprimanded, and he had to go and talk with the Pope, and there had been a lot of discussion. And finally, he put this out there for all the world to see, and that began our, what we call the Protestant Reformation. So this year for Halloween, I anticipated everyone to dress like Martin Luther in honor of that day 500 years ago. I'm sure we can all look just like him. Um, and um, in Europe then... In much of Europe, um, until, okay, until our country, the United States of America, began this amazing uh, experiment of separating church from state, there was no country that separated church from state. The, the government and the church were always together. And um, when Luther walked away from the Roman Catholic Church, you will be shocked to find out that the prince and the king and there, the prince in, in uh, Germany then declared himself to be king of Germany and walked with Luther because now he didn't have to follow Rome and he could be leader of his own country. And that developed the Lutheran Church out of um, Lutheran because Martin Luther, right, out of, out of Germany. And then we have the Calvinists who ended up what we call Presbyterians. And there was a lot of churches that, uh, theological um, disputes that really rose and, and, and denominations started to split off and form. Uh, but that didn't happen in England in quite the same way. Um, not that they didn't have people there who had theological disputes. They did. But... The king on the throne at the time that the Protestant Reformation began in Europe, the king was Henry VIII. You probably have heard of him. Some of you may have sung his song. I learned it as a child, not knowing what it meant. I'm Henry VIII. You know that one? Yes, okay. So um, I'm sure that was his song at the coronation. I don't know. Anyway, um, Henry wanted a divorce 
or an annulment, really. He wanted an annulment. There are certain things that the church considers to be standards for which an annulment can be granted. And he wanted an annulment because if he had an annulment, then he could marry again. If he didn't have an annulment, he wasn't supposed to marry again, and he wanted to be able to marry again. So he wanted an annulment, but the Pope wouldn't grant him one because the Pope, one, felt he didn't meet the standards for an annulment, and two, the wife of Henry VIII at that time was the niece of the Pope, and he had no desire to give an annulment. And so Henry said, forget you. You're not the head of the church. I'm the head of the church. It's the Church of England, and I'm the head. And since then, the king was the head of the Church of England. And he declared himself, and so they just kind of took the signs down and put new signs up. Took down no more Catholic Church of England. Which kind of worked for some people, because, you know, how many of you, like, read the books of... of, uh, Jane Austen or seen Pride and Prejudice. And kind of, so you're a little bit familiar with, and I'm not going to say that that's a super accurate portrait, but back in those days, pastors were pastors, not so much because they felt called by God to lead, but because they needed a job. And, you know, the firstborn would get the property. And so the secondborn needed something. Sometimes he could do military. Sometimes they could be the pastor. And so they would take a church and that provided a living for the family even if they didn't really have any gifts for ministry. And so when the king said, now we're the Church of England, many of them said, okay, Church of England. But there were some people who felt called by God, who were really devout, who really invested in the theology, and they said, wait a minute, that doesn't work like that. And so those dissenting people were thrown into jail. And... The ideas from the reformers on the continent came across to the island of England there, to the UK, and, um, and some of those um, ideas took root amongst many of the people in the congregations. And so developed new groups, new groups known as the nonconformists. Um, because they didn't adhere to the standards of the Church of England, so they were the nonconformists. Now, for us, when we study history, many of you are going to remember about the religious persecution and how pilgrims came to start new colonies to get away from that religious persecution. You remember those stories, yes? Because we eat a big meal about that every year, right? Right? Okay. And we called them Puritans. Right, the Puritans who came, and those were nonconformists from England. And in that group of nonconformists was Isaac Watts, senior, whose family was nonconformist. And the thing was, is that depending on who was sitting on the throne, was how much persecution the nonconformists would experience. So sometimes the king or the queen would say, "Oh, you have to toe the line; it has to be just like this, and anybody who doesn't would get tossed in jail." And so they would round up nonconformists and throw them in jail. And then that person would die or be deposed in some other way. And the next monarch would say, oh, it's not a big deal. They can let them out. They can do whatever. We need them working, whatever. And so they would kind of go along about their own business. And then the next one would come in and say, no, toe that line, throw them in jail. And so uh, when Isaac Watts was born in uh, 16... 
74, July 17th of 1674, born to Isaac and Sarah Watts. Um, Isaac was born. His, it was during a time of greater persecution, and shortly after his birth, his dad was thrown in jail. And so his mother would go down to the jailhouse and sit on the steps. She would nurse her child in, in, uh, on the steps in protest to how her family was being treated. They had nine children. She had occasion to nurse all of them at the, at the steps of jail um, because at different times the, the king or queen would be a, you know, throwing them in jail. Um, so Isaac Watts Sr. got thrown in jail quite a lot. Isaac Watts Jr., not so much. But he, that was the backdrop. And so when we're singing these hymns, when we're reading that scripture, when we're singing those hymns of, oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter in the stormy blast in our eternal home, you can just kind of hear that, that you were our help before, we know you're going to be help, our help in the future, and right now we're enduring this time of great persecution. And we're putting all of our trust and our hope and our faith in you, right? It, it brings on a, a very real and eminent. I mean, a lot of times when we're singing it, we're kind of probably thinking about maybe something in the future, something's going to happen. But when Watts wrote it, he was talking about the eminent stormy blast that they were facing in order to worship God in the way that they believed was true and good. Isaac Watts was an uh, amazing, amazing um, intellect, brilliant, brilliant, uh, very precocious as a child. Um, started rhyming very early. There was a, there's a story about him um, that he was being chastened for praying with his eyes open, which I always find suspect because how did they know his eyes were open? But anyway, he was being chastened for praying with his eyes open, and he responded in a little couplet that was a little kind of snappy and perhaps not as respectful as the father had hoped for. And so the father was giving him severe corporal punishment when he cried out in another pithy little couplet, and the father relented um, because he's just so dang cute, right? And I say that, he's just so dang cute, but... He physically was not so dang cute. I'm thinking we might say the face only a mother could love. Um, in all of my readings, nobody, nobody described him in any ways other than insulting. I mean, how, how I read it today, I'm like going, how did they say that and not, I mean, were they just rude and insulting? But they, I mean, everything. He was always constantly called very homely, very homely. And uh, um, yeah, unsightly, um, deformed. I mean, they just really didn't like how he looked. But his mind was amazing. At the age of four, he started school. Now, the, he didn't go to the schools funded by the state because those were Anglican. So he went to one through his own denomination. And um, so he started to study Latin. Yes, at the age of four, he started to study Latin. And after he'd mastered that, at the age of four, he went on and he studied Greek and Hebrew. And, and then there were some of his neighbors in Southampton, where, where he was born and grew up in Southampton, England. Some of his neighbors had come across the channel from France. They were also nonconformists and they were fleeing France. And so he wanted to be able to converse with his neighbors, so he also learned French. And so by the time he was 13, he was fluent in Latin, Greek, Hebrew, French, and of course English. And he began to write poetry. And um, very early, he began to write poetry. He was offered a full scholarship 
to Oxford. One of the people there in town said, I will, one of the do- doctor in town, he said, I will pay your tuition the whole time if you will go to Oxford. Because he really wanted to go to Oxford. So that just sounds amazing, doesn't it? We're like, whoa, full scholarship to Oxford? That's amazing. But that's because we don't see the politics in there. Oxford was an Anglican university, a Church of England. And so if he went to Oxford, he would leave his nonconformist tradition and enter into the Church of England. And so he declined that generous offer, and he went to seminary and went to college at a lesser-known college, but one that was run by his denomination, um, where he excelled. And um, when he graduated at the age of 20, he uh, became a tutor. Um, But his gifts for the use of language and his gifts for poetry um, were so captivating that they were soon called into service. One of the things that was very common in the Church of England, that what's your image of Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King but Martin Luther, what's your image of him? You're like, I always think of him as a little bit round and kind of loud and drinking lots of beer. I don't know if you guys, but yeah, he, he enjoyed beer. And so he would sit in taverns and they would drink beer and they would sing songs and they would sing songs. And he wrote lots of songs and there, some of those songs are in our hymnal. And so for a hundred years, Lutherans have been singing hymns like what we might think of as modern hymns, but not in English churches. In English churches, they still had the very ancient sort of Psalter. And the Psalter being the Psalms from the book of Psalms, the 150 Psalms that are in there, translated into the vernacular and set to music, but translated fairly literally into into the vernacular and put to music. And one of the things that Isaac Watts said is, you know, when I look at people and they're singing, it's like, it's like a funeral. They're dead. It's like they're singing dirge after dirge. There's no life here. There's no spirit. There's no inspiration. We need different hymns. And so his father encouraged him, well, write something. And so he did. And the people loved it. So he began writing more and more hymns. And they were so well received in the nonconformists. They are some of our most beloved. We're going to have a chance to do a hymn sing of his music at the offering today. Um, just so many great ones, like Joy to the World. I mean, we heard Joy to the World before on the prelude, right? And everybody's like going, Christmas, huh? But he wrote the words to Joy to the World. And it's one of our, how can you do Christmas without Joy to the World? Is it even possible? You know, it's just one of our favorite English language Christmas carols, right? So many great hymns that he wrote. But in his day, he was a radical. He was mocked. He was belittled, degraded for those horrible hymns. They were called Watts Whims. And... They said, you know, Watts, you have turned your back on divinely inspired psalms to create this vulgar 
song, the language is so common and plain. And he said, yep, and I worked hard to make it that way. He said, all that divinely inspired words is not touching the people. It's not reaching their hearts. It's not helping inspire them for their Christian walk. And so he went right on writing those vulgar hymns and and was much aligned, maligned for doing this. There's people who went to their grave berating him for degrading the worship at church. Now, I have to say... I wish that had gone away 300 years ago when he was writing those hymns. But I was on a website. I'm talking the attitudes. I wish those attitudes had gone away. I was on a website this um, last month looking up one of the other hymn writers. And I came across a blog from somebody that was written just a few months ago. And it was somebody who um, was saying... Why do we sing this hymn writer's music? It's blasphemous. Whenever we sing it, I always change the words and sing it really loudly to the words I like better because I think this person's blasphemous. And we shouldn't have that person's music in our church. To which somebody else responded, Well, what is wrong with your church? I visited it today, and my gosh, what's going on there? They had guitars in worship. I refused to take Holy Communion because I was so appalled. To which the first person responded, Oh, I wish you had taken Holy Communion. It might have been the only thing in worship that would have been pleasing to Jesus. Yes, even today, even today, there are people who will criticize New musics and new styles being used in worship because they just don't like it. How could that possibly be Christian? They're degrading worship. I'm sure nobody in this room has ever said anything like that. Right? I mean, I can understand. We don't all like the same kind of music. That's fine. That's fine. But to actually disparage other people because they worship with different styles of music to actually work to, to try to belittle them and make them conform to our preferences. Well, this is exactly what Isaac Watt faced. And his music today is some of our favorite hymns, right? So as we're singing those, we need to remember what a radical he was. And how very poorly received his music was in much of the mainline church there in England. Now, over in the colonies, we loved him. Americans have always loved Isaac Watts. We really loved his music over here. As a matter of fact, his music inspired a lot of the the style of gospel music. And the slaves really loved Isaac Watts' music. And uh, that gospel music tradition grew out of its roots in much of what he produced. So Isaac Watts, described as being homely, he was very thin, he grew, he he topped out at five foot, very thin, very pale, very fragile and sickly, with an oversized head. And me being a visual person, immediately comes to mind a bobblehead. He looked like a bobblehead, he looked like a human bobblehead. 
And um, in the pictures that they have of him, they, they say that he's always in big robes, like the clothes are always kind of big, so you can't see how really his body and his head didn't match. But the gem of who God made him to be, and the, the beauty of his love for Jesus and the way that's expressed in the poetry still touches and inspires us today, 300 years later. Now, I know that there's some people in here, me included, that we listen to certain music and we're just like going, oh my gosh, really? But maybe 300 years from now, that will be the, the traditional music that people sing and it really touches their hearts. Hard to imagine, but I know those people going to their graves thinking that Watts was blaspheming. Never imagined 300 years later that his music would still be touching and inspiring the hearts of others. And so it's something to think about, our brother Isaac, as we sing his music, to remember the very real persecution his family endured, to remember that that when he writes those words, it's not something theoretical that maybe is going to happen one day, but it's, it's words that speak to us the truth of where our help lies and in whom we put our trust, and which reign is the reign that is supreme for our lives. And to really remember that and hold on to that, and then also to remember those who are in disagreement with us, to be gracious towards them, and, and those with whom we disagree, that we would be gracious both directions, So that every day what we're saying and what we're doing is truly making a good witness for Jesus in all times and in all places. Will you join me in a prayer? Loving God, we thank you so much for your servant Isaac. And God, we ask that you would help us to look inside our lives and see if there's any place where we are persecuting your holy work because it seems different or foreign to us. God, we ask that you would help us to release our preconceived notions on what is pleasing to you and open our hearts and minds fully to your love that you might touch and transform us, that we might grow in our usefulness to you in building up your holy realm in our world, in our time. And all of this we pray in the name of Jesus and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.